You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So, if you are newer to us here at Grace, once again, welcome. And we are in the middle of a series through the Gospel of Luke. And we are chasing this series all the way into September. And now we're going to get to really a season where we're going to be covering either a lot of blocks of Scripture or we're going to be choosing some sections of Scripture because we just don't have time to go through everything that we're going to be looking at here in these chapters as you're reading your Bible. So when we come to one of these sections and we leave out others, let us encourage you to to read God's Word, to read those for yourself. But also one of the guiding principles we're using is we have preached through all the Gospels here in the last handful of years here at Grace. So if there is a parallel account, and for many of these stories there are, we've probably addressed it in John, in Matthew, or in Mark, and all those are uploaded to our website. So if we miss a section or miss a passage that you really want to go deeper into, we encourage you to go back to the archive on our website because it will hopefully be captured there. So that being said, we are coming to two stories that are familiar to many of you. This is the story of a blind man who is healed and whose sight is restored, and this is the story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And some of you know that old camp song, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. You're all looking at me like, no, we don't know that song. I know this little camp song. But many of you, separate of that song, are familiar with this story as well. So I want to do something that I actually asked you to do earlier this week. And that is something that we're trying to be more intentional about as a preaching team is if you follow us on Facebook, about Wednesday or Thursday, we're going to start putting out a preview on a weekly basis of what's coming this next Sunday. And so we posted something um, this last week around Wednesday or so, and gosh, I was amazed. There were several hundred, had over 700 views, which is kind of fun. So be watching for that, because we want to introduce you and begin to get you thinking about what it is we're going to cover each Sunday. So we did that this last week, and for those of you who saw that, we're going to do that once again, what you saw posted there on Facebook, and that is we're going to enter this story today, because for some of us, we're so familiar with these stories, they begin to lose their impact and really the reality of what they speak to. And so we once again want to do what our Gary Brashears wisely coaches us to do whenever we come to stories into the Bible, and that is to try to enter into them ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to do something that we asked you to do online this last week. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And some of you are probably saying to yourself, "Eh, I'm not doing that. Okay, well, you're going to see me close my eyes. But I'd like you to go with me here and close your eyes, okay? And keep them closed till we move on. So I want you to imagine that this is all you have ever known, and that's darkness. You have never been able to see. I mean, even now, there's some light that's creeping in through your eyes being closed because of the light in the room here, but imagine total darkness. You have never seen anything or anyone, and you live in a day and age where there is no cure for you. This is life. But then you begin to hear these stories about this man named Jesus who is healing people. What would you do in order to get near to him in the hope that you may finally be able to see? 
And now you can open your eyes. Or what about this? You have everything that your culture says you need to have in order to be happy, fulfilled, satisfied. You're wealthy, you're rich, you've got stuff, you have power, you have influence, you have prestige, you were at the pinnacle of your career, and yet you know in your heart of hearts that something is still missing. In fact, in our culture today, would not our American culture say, if you have all those things, you have everything you need. But scripture declares otherwise, and so does the story today. Because in Zacchaeus, we have a man who had all those things, and yet he knew something was missing. And in many ways, he is just as desperate as the blind man to see Jesus. And that is the common denominator that unites these two stories and these two very different men. You have the blind man who is a nobody in that culture. You have Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector who is a somebody. You have this man who is powerless. You have this man who in the eyes of many is incredibly powerful. And yet something is missing for both of them. And such a profound, significant change happens in their lives. We are literally talking about them now, once again on Sunday morning here, thousands of years later. What happened? What did it mean for them to see Jesus? And that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you have a Bible, will you open to Luke chapter 18, we're going to close out that chapter starting with verse 35. We're going to look at these two stories that will take us into chapter 19. And this is what I want you to watch for as I read this to you. Who sees Jesus and who doesn't? Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 18. And my clicker's not working. Uh, we'll see if we can advance it. There we go. Thank you. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Story continues. Okay, so now Jesus entered Jericho. And he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What an amazing story. Two stories, really. So let's begin to work our way through both of them. So we're told that Jesus is approaching Jericho. Jericho, important city in Jesus' time, and really an amazing city. And I got to see the Old Testament Jericho when I was in Jerusalem just a couple of, a couple of years ago. And this is a picture of, of um, the fountain of Elijah. But Jericho is literally the oldest city that we know of in the world. Through excavations and archaeological work, they've uncovered layer after layer after layer of civilization dating back 10,000 years, 500 years before Abraham. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And in Jesus' time, it was a thriving city. And, and now, modern Jericho is in the area of Old Testament Jericho and, and New Testament Jericho. But it's an amazing place and a significant place in the Bible and significant for what happens in the story today. Jesus is coming into this city and there is this blind man who is there waiting for him. And it tells us he was begging, which quite frankly is exactly what he had to do. My brother-in-law was blind. He passed away some years ago and my sister passed away not long after him. And as a family, we helped take care of him, my sister especially. And he was remarkably capable and self-sufficient. But the reality was that if we were not there as family, he, he, there's a lot of things he just he could not do for himself. And in this culture, if you did not have family to care for you, if you were up against something like that, there was no safety net for you. You were in big trouble, and you were on your own. This man begged because he had to. It was the only way he literally could get food to eat, and he is desperate. And isn't it interesting, as we look at this passage, he asks the crowd, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Because he can't see, right? And they say, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and what does the blind man say? Jesus, son of David. That's a messianic term that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's mentioned 17 times in the New Testament. And it is profoundly important. It's, it's not just a name, it's a title. And it reaches all the way back into history when God promised David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel. And so who's really blind in this story? Presumably the crowd, or at least many in the crowd, do not recognize who Jesus is, and yet the blind guy who has never seen before does. It's very ironic, and it's very remarkable. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, what? Really? What do you want me to do for you? Okay. Blind guy comes up to you and you have the ability to heal? Don't you think Jesus should have known what the blind guy wanted? But there's more here than meets the eye because Jesus does this often. Think back with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter five. There's all these disabled folks who are gathered around the pool of Siloam hoping to get in it because they think they'll be healed. They're looking for a miracle and you can't fault them for that. But there's this one guy who we're told has been there for 38 years and Jesus comes up to him and basically says, do you wanna get well? Because you see, not everyone who is sick wants to get well. Or to put it another way, God is always looking for faith. And that's what Jesus is looking for here. Is this guy willing to trust him? He's testing his willingness to be healed. Jesus knows he wants to be healed, but he's testing his heart. And what happens? The man does have enough faith, has enough faith to ask. And this miracle happens and he gets healed. And once again, it reminds us of this reality we've been looking at through the Gospel of Luke that the Lord has been emphasizing over and over again, it's not necessarily the quantity of your faith, it is the object and focus of your faith that matters. How much faith did the blind man have? Well, he had enough to ask. He had enough to marry his faith to action, and that's what it means to believe. Especially in the New Testament, whenever you see that word belief, that's not just mental assent, that's always married to action. Are you willing to do something about it? And it's very personally challenging to me, and I think in many ways challenging to all of us. Most of us don't have a faith problem. Those of us who know Jesus especially don't have a faith problem. We have a belief problem. Are we willing to act on on what we know God wants us to know or do or believe? Faith is always married to action, which brings us to the next story. So presumably, this blind man can now see and he is in this crowd that's coming into Jerusalem. Can you imagine how cool, excuse me, Jericho. Can you imagine how cool that must have been? And now we're told Zacchaeus is there. And we learn a lot about him in this short sentence in verse two. He was the chief tax collector, which means he had tax collectors who worked for him. And we've visited this before, and we've seen this frame of reference before as we've talked about um, tax collectors here throughout the gospel of Luke, so we'll just get in and out on this, but remember, tax collectors were despised because they were collaborators with the Roman government. And the way they made their money was they extorted their own people. They were seen as traitors who had betrayed the nation and regularly betrayed their own people and shook them down to get as much money from them as they could get. They were hated, they were despised, they were reviled. And we're told that Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. He was a short guy. And this is a problem when you have a crowd coming through the city and you have all these people who are trying to get near Jesus. Any of you ever been to the Rose Parade? Ever been to the Teddy Bear Parade here in Gresham? Or some other type of gathering like that where there's lots of people? If you are vertically challenged and no one will let you get to the front to see, what do you do? 
if you want to see. Well, you can do what some people do for Rose Parade and they camp out for like weeks, you know, to ensure their spot, but that's not what we're talking about here. Once again, this tells us volumes. No one's going to make space for this guy to see Jesus. This is one of the most despised people in the community. No one's going to be gracious to him. So you're a short guy like Zacchaeus. What do you do? You don't climb a tree. Because no self-respecting, prominent Jewish man would ever do that. In an honor-shame culture, what keeps you awake at night is doing anything that would bring shame on yourself, your family, or your community. And this isn't necessarily shameful, but it's extremely undignified. This would be like our mayor, all suited up and tied up from going to city council, climbing a tree in downtown Gresham next to his restaurant to watch the teddy bear parade. We all kind of go, what is that? What are you doing? What was he willing to do to see Jesus? I would submit to you he was just as desperate and motivated and impassioned to see Jesus as the blind man was. This was hugely significant for him to climb a tree and very humbling. And Jesus stops, looks up in the tree and calls him by name. How did he know Zacchaeus' name? It's pretty wild, and the, I think the, the, the answer here is we don't know. We don't know how he knew that was Zacchaeus. I like to think that that was the Holy Spirit working through Jesus and divinely giving him the ability to know who Zacchaeus was, but you're Zacchaeus. Jesus, you, you've never met, never seen, walks by, sees you, and says, Jay, I'm coming to your house today. Well, what would you do? Well, it's Jesus, of course you'd say yes. It says he received him gladly. He took him home, but how do the people respond? Seriously? Jesus is going to the home of that guy, but there's more than that here. And there's some culture here that gets a little diluted because we're not necessarily like this. But in Near Eastern culture, to eat a meal with someone said something about relationship. It said, I like you. I trust you. I identify with you. I am your friend. This is more than just a casual meal here. This is a statement of relationship and association. This in part helps us understand that when Judas betrayed Jesus after years of eating with him, fellowshipping with him, after the last supper, the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples, it's then that Judas goes and betrays him. That was unthinkable in first century Near Eastern culture. One of the most vile, horrible, awful, deplorable things you could do would be to betray someone who you had shared a meal with. It was unthinkable. And now Jesus is going to his house. It, what is he doing? And the people begin to condemn Zacchaeus. And actually, they begin to condemn Jesus, how can he do that? How can he say that? But this is a defining moment. And for those of you who were with us last week, when Gary Bershears took us through the passage that precedes us, precedes this, what is happening here? The impossible is happening here. Do you remember what Jesus said last week out of Luke 18? That it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God of God and what's happening a rich man is entering the kingdom of God in contrast to the rich man who we looked at last week in Gary's passage that rich man was a good guy 
he was, he was very religious. Everyone in the community would have said, if anyone's gonna enter the kingdom of God, it's that rich guy. But he went away sad when Jesus said, okay, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He went away sad because it wasn't worth it. Here is a rich man who is a bad guy, the last guy you would ever expect to enter the kingdom of God, and he gladly gives away half his stuff and compensates anyone he's wronged four times the amount of how he's wronged them in order to follow Jesus. It's absolutely remarkable. And by the way, by compensating people four times what he has extorted from them, he's exceeding what even the law in the Old Testament said he should have done. It's profoundly generous. We read this and go, this is generous? It is transformatively generous. Something amazing has happened in this man's life. He didn't get just better information from Jesus. He wasn't just inspired by Jesus. He was transformed by Jesus. He was born again. What does it mean to see Jesus? Well, these stories illustrate to us the reality that in order to see Jesus, you've got to be willing to step out of the crowd. Imagine this blind man. It tells us, everyone around him, shut up. Quit calling out to Jesus. Will you shut up? Will you stop? He would not stop. He didn't listen to what the crowd said. He was going to see Jesus and nothing was going to stop him from getting near Jesus and hopefully being cured. Same with Zacchaeus. The guy was willing to climb a tree in order just to see Jesus. Evidently, he didn't care what people around him thought either. He was gonna do whatever it took to get near Jesus. How about you? What are you willing to do to get near Jesus? Because this reminds us of the reality that it will cost you at some point and in some way to follow Jesus. It cost these men. They, they risked the disapproval of the community around them. Both of them had to humble themselves, really, in order to, to get near Jesus. But there's another cost here that I was reminded of. I mean, think about it this way. Here's this blind man. He has begged his whole life and now he's had his vision restored. It's a miracle. He's been, he's been cured. But he doesn't get to beg anymore. Now he's got to learn how to work and provide for himself and, and be responsible in that way. Or what about Zacchaeus? What did he give up in order to follow Jesus? Well, he gave away half of his income, and then he gave away more from all the people who had extorted him. Think of all the comfort, all the ease, all the security financially that he gave up in order to follow Jesus. He couldn't extort people anymore. Hopefully he didn't want to because God had changed his, his heart, but now he had to be honest. It, it cost both of these men in a number of ways to follow Jesus. This takes us right back to where Gary took us last week. What are you willing to give up in order to follow Jesus? Or to put it another way, is there something as you assess your heart and your life where you say, I don't know. I don't know that I'm willing to give that up to follow Jesus because I'm not sure it's worth it. Well, that's honest. 
and you've put your finger on the heart of the issue. Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. For a number of us, we don't have a faith problem. We have a belief problem. I'm not sure I buy that. Yeah, that's, that's it. You just put your finger on it. I'm not sure it'll be worth it to give that up to follow Jesus. Yep, you're doing business with where you need to do business. Because for all of us, it means we have to get over our pride in order to enter the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus. Each of these men had to humble themselves. And again, this takes us right back to where Gary took us last week and where Sean took us the week before. Only those who are willing to humble themselves like a child can enter the kingdom of God. And that means doing business with what Jesus said here. And this is really the heart of what Luke is emphasizing here. This has kind of been the theme verse all these months that we've been coming back to and referencing because this is the gospel, the good news for all people. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But there's something there that we all have to make friends with and do business with, is that we all start out in the same place. All of us apart from Jesus are lost. That is offensive to many people. I've had a number of conversations with people through the years where when we've really been able to get honest and they've really opened up, that's essentially what they've said. I'm not lost. I'm a good person. I'm doing fine. Yeah, you really aren't. Because apart from Jesus, you are compromising and you are missing out and you are settling for far less than what Jesus wants to give you and to do for you and to, and to bless you. The common denominator between these two men once again is they both admitted they were lost and they needed help. Zacchaeus, who I think more of us can relate to than the blind man, Zacchaeus had everything our culture would say you need to have in order to be happy. Money, wealth, power, significance, the pinnacle of a career, relationships, presumably. But he had everything our culture would say, you've got it all. And he said, yeah, I really don't. And I'll do whatever it takes to find what's missing, even humbling myself. And what does he do? He takes Jesus home with him. Which, let's unpack that for a minute. Many years ago, when I was a middle school ministry pastor, one of the tools that we would equip our, our leadership students with to tell their Jesus story and to tell their friends about Christ was this thing called My Heart, Christ's Home. And some of you are familiar with it. But it basically is this idea and reality of looking at your life as a home. And you have your hobby room, and you have your work room, and you have your school room, and all these different rooms of your home, which represents your life. And Jesus gets to go into every single one of them. And as you think through the homes, the room, rather the rooms in the home of your life, if there is a room where Jesus isn't invited, that's a problem. And, and where is that room for you? Or to say this another way, what you watch 
What you say, what you do, what you endorse, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you define your sexuality, how you define your relationships, what you do with your stuff, what you do with your motives and your priorities, all that has to be filtered and led and empowered and prioritized through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word and truth in your life. You and I do not get the option of saying, Jesus, I will follow you, but not here. Or sometimes here. Or if it's worth my while, here. Following Jesus doesn't work that way. You do not add Jesus to your life. He is your life. And if you and I compromise on that, we are missing out on what Jesus wants to give us. And we're missing out on the joy and the hope and the peace and the blessing that he promises us. Oh boy, I'm, just, I'm not sure I believe that. You just put your finger on the problem. What did Bartimaeus do? He not only took Jesus home, history tells us, legend tells us, and we don't know this for sure, it's not in God's word, but what those things tell us though is that he followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus is headed. And he followed him to the cross. And he was one of those folks who was in the room at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the church exploded and God's kingdom exploded just like he said it would. Bartimaeus was there. They couldn't shut him up because of what Jesus had done in his life. Now, do we know that for sure? We don't know that exactly for sure, but this is what we do know. Jesus changed this man's life and he would not stop telling people about it because Jesus' mission is our mission as a church and as individuals. We join him in seeking and saving the lost. What is your story? How has Jesus changed you? What would your life be like without him? And if you can't answer that, or if you wrestle with that, then in fairness, you need to ask yourself, do I really know him? Because there are lots of religious people in our culture who think they're Jesus followers and they're not. They're moral, nice, even good people, but they don't know him as their Lord and Savior. Do you see what happened in these men's lives? Radical transformation. And that's what Jesus does, is he, he changes us. And our, and our lives become distinctive as we live for him. You have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. That's why we have people like Abel, who get on a plane and fly tons of time zones away to Eastern Europe in order to tell the story of Jesus. Because you have a story to tell if you know Jesus. But we're not just getting on planes and doing it, we're doing it here as a church family, and I'd like to call your attention to this. There are a number of you who, you don't have kids, so you really don't have any reason to go upstairs. You're not dropping kids off or picking them up or what have you. But our children's ministry, as I mentioned at the beginning of our morning, reaches into the lives of literally hundreds of kids on a weekly basis here. 
And for a handful of months now, our children's ministry has been focused on encouraging our kids to tell the Jesus story to those kids around them. And so they have this focus called Each One Reach One. I took these pictures with my phone earlier this week for those of you who don't ever get to, get to go upstairs. And I know not all of you can see this, but on this, on this um, paper with these sticky notes are all the kids that our Jesus-loving, following kids are praying for to have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. The next poster is, these are the kids who they've been able to tell about Jesus. This last poster is the kids who have decided to follow Jesus. The kingdom of God is expanding through our kids. And I think that's pretty cool and pretty remarkable. Because once again, we come full circle with the reality that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be willing to humble yourself and trust like a child. Because Jesus is not the divine advice giver. He is not the divine life coach. He is not just a moral example. He is not just a wise teacher. And you don't just add him to your life. He is your life because he is the king. Is he your king? Because we're gonna worship him now as the king. As our worship team comes, we're gonna bow our heads and pray in just a moment. And before we do, I wanna encourage you, if he is your king, take communion. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. Think about how he's changed your life, the story that you have to tell. And I want to commit the rest of our time here to him. So let's pray together. Lord, I pray for anyone here that as they're doing business with your word this morning, if they're not sure, if they're not certain that they know you, that they have received you into their life, that right now, just between you and them, they would say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want to follow you. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, would you remind us all over again of your love and your grace and your mercy? Would we try to get near to you? Would we do whatever it takes to follow you God, thank you that you are the one who draws near to us. So we welcome you now, and we celebrate you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one true God, the God of all people who choose to know and follow you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And he is good. And we discover him and follow him and learn about him and grow in him together. We do that as a, as a community. Because there are those times when you'll do business with the reality that he's good, but life sometimes isn't. And sometimes it's easy to blur the two and to confuse the two and to make God's goodness all about what's going on in your life when it's painful and difficult and hard. And maybe there's some of you here this morning where you're legitimately wrestling with Is it really worth it to follow him in this area of my life? And we all will come to those defining moments. And you don't have to come to those alone. Our prayer team is here. I'm here, the person maybe you came with this morning. We'd love to pray with you and 
continue to discover God together because he is good and it is worth it to follow him. And he promises blessing and joy and hope and fulfillment and significance and peace and his presence to those who will faithfully follow him. So I wanna pray that blessing over you now as we prepare to go from here. Lord, I thank you for each person who is here this morning. And we thank you collectively as your church, as your bride, as your body, for the fact that you are good, even when life isn't. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to follow you. Help us to believe you, to trust you, to take you at your word. And Lord, would you work powerfully within us. And Lord, because you're good, would you give each one of us, including me, the opportunity to tell someone about your goodness this week, to be able to share the story of who you are and what you've done. You are a good and gracious God. Thank you that you're with us now and you will go with us through your spirit as we leave here. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Blessings on you. Glad you were here. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.